Hi, I'm Mark Chavez. I'm one of the hosts of Let's Make a, a comedy docuseries podcast about the creative process. Each season, my co-hosts, Ryan Beal, Maddie Kelly, and I, take on an artistic challenge and you follow our journey. In Let's Make a Sci-Fi, we wrote a science fiction TV pilot. In Let's Make a Rom-Com, we wrote a romantic comedy film. And on our latest season, Let's Make a Horror, we produced a horror short film. And when we run into trouble, we interview Hollywood experts. People who have worked on big things like The Blair Witch Project, The Office, Star Wars, Mamma Mia, and more. All three seasons of Let's Make a are available now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Normally when you're a kid and your parents try to be funny, it's kind of cringe, right? Well, for Zarna Garg's kids, it was the total opposite. Rather than rolling their eyes or, oh, mom, they actually pushed her to try stand-up comedy. And it changed everything. She's become this really in-demand stand-up comedian. And she swears she's not trying to be funny. She's just saying what she's got to say. Zarna will tell you about taking risks and getting trolled online by her mother-in-law. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. If anyone knows what it's like to blow up your life and start over, it is the comedian Zarna Garg. She did it for the first time when she was a teenager, okay? She left India to avoid an arranged marriage. Later on, she quit a high-profile job as a lawyer. She became a stay-at-home mom to three children. And then, a few years ago, she blew up her life again when she got behind the microphone at a comedy club. Namaste! Thank you so much for coming out tonight. A little about me. I'm an immigrant. I'm here to take your jobs. Watch out, Jerry Seinfeld! No, for real, for real. I am an immigrant. I came to America with $9 in my pocket. 10000 in the bank. <laughs> Today, Zarna Garg is a professional comedian. I mean, obviously, she's very funny. She's got her own Amazon Prime special. It's called One in a Billion and a brand new podcast called The Zarna Garg Show. She's also open for Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. She is on tour right now. And somehow she carved out some time in her busy schedule to talk to us and share her really surprising path to comedy. Welcome to Q, Zarna. Thank you so much for having me. And there was no issue carving out time. I love talking about myself. As I have learned, every person in the entertainment business seems to love doing it. So we seem to make time all the time for this. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're thrilled. I mean, you found your calling. That's very evident. I mean, in the clip that we just heard in in watching you do anything. And I want to know, there, there's this TV show called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it feels like a parallel to your life where you're both women yeah. who did not set out to build a career in comedy. And then you just found your destiny. I'm very aware of the show. I have not watched it, but I'm very aware of it. I read a lot about it and I know what it's about. And I guess the little difference is that I'm not sure this is my destiny because this is going to make Indian people very sad. You know, we're not generally a fun-seeking crowd. So I myself am not sure what I'm doing still. I'm still hoping that one day the math gene will kick in, (laughs) the science gene will kick in. You know, I like to say it's never too late to take the MCATs. So you don't know what other rejuvenations are waiting ahead of me because I, I I don't know if my people can handle that comedy is it for me. <laughs> when did you first realize that you were very funny? 
No, I, I still haven't. No? <laughs> no, no. Come on. I'm not trying to be. I'm being completely honest. I'm really not trying to be funny. That's the whole thing. Like when I'm on stage or talking to my kids or now talking to you, I'm just trying to like be who I am. Like right now I'm sitting here thinking, why is she doing this radio thing? Why? Why didn't she become an accountant? Why not? Like, wh- who would choose? To, you know what I mean? Like the Indian and me everywhere I go. I'm like, but why wouldn't you become a lawyer? People find that funny. Yeah. yeah. But I'm actually being very serious. <laughs> I think maybe that's why it's so funny. I don't know. My dad's yeah. first generation Canadian as well. And I think that there are a lot of there are a lot of questions. This is a very universal, universal um idea I think maybe that you're tapping into right I mean I'm learning that that's what makes it funny it's not even just an Indian people thing like I get that a lot like every culture wherever they are have parents who think one way the kids think another way and the world is evolving in a way that nobody understands and I see my job as one to just keep observing and asking a lot of questions I had to call my kid and ask her I was like what are you enrolled in what are you studying Ceramics. (laughs) Ceramics. $80,000! <laughs> to learn how to make clay pots? Do you know who else makes clay pots? Villagers in India. <laughs> I want to talk about some of the twists and turns that it took to get you to where you are. So you grew up in Mumbai, and when you were a teenager, you decided to break free from that life that you knew and, and left India. So what happened there? So my mom passed suddenly. I was uh, I was the youngest of four kids in my family. Very conservative, very loving, nice, beautiful family. But I was the youngest of four. My three siblings were married early in life, as a lot of fam- lot of children in India are. Like 17, 18, 20, 25 years ago was not considered too early, at least not in the world that I came from. I was just shy of 15 when my mom passed. And my dad, I think... He kind of broke, you know, His he also lost a wife. Suddenly I lost my mother. We kind of like our world just got shattered in a way that no one had imagined. And I think that he, in his wisdom, decided he's like, you know what? I'm done parenting. You need to get married. Wow. It was like, in hindsight, probably a knee jerk reaction. But I was always the person who wanted to go to school and study and had all these idealistic notions of the world. And I was heavily influenced by Western culture. I was watching all the TV and comedy shows and things that came out from America and Britain. We used to get bootleg VHS copies back in the day. I was reading all the comic books. So I kept thinking, but no one there seems to be getting married. You know, like no sitcom in America or, you know, in the West is like all centered around marriage. Yeah. It's a lot more fun. It's like they're dating, they're kissing, they're doing all these other things. So I was like, I don't want to. And my dad was very much like, you don't actually have that choice Mm. if you want to live at home. And so I did what every teenager, I was like, oh, so I won't live at home. What's the big deal about that? I've been wanting to do pajama parties anyway. (laughs) And I, in, in a half, I walked out thinking that that I'd be fine. You know, I have so many friends who are always inviting me. Mm. And then after spending two days at my friend's house and when their mom is like, I think you need to go home. That's when reality was like, oh, shit, I didn't really think this through. 
Yeah. So what did you do? How, you, you, I think you bounced around for four years before you moved to the States? No, two years. Two. It was just about two years. Yeah. And of course, my sister, who was married and living in the United States, had said to me, she understood what I wanted to do in my life. And she's like, if you come to America, you can study for as long as you want. No one's going to get you married. And so for a long time, it was just like how to come to America. Like, you know, it's not so easy for an Indian person in general, and let alone a teenager with no paperwork and all, you know, all the drama that goes with it. Yeah. And now as a comedian, I understand that those years were probably the foundational years of my stand-up comedy. Yeah, I'm sure. I wonder what, like, you're you're so good at observational humor. I wonder when you first came to the States, what were some of your earliest observations that made you laugh? Oh, my God. I was so shocked. Like, I, I mean, I wasn't shocked at being in America, but the, the little micro-cultural things, like, my sister lives in Akron, Ohio to this day. Mm -hmm. And I moved to Akron. The biggest story in Akron back when I moved there was the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, he's from Akron. So Murderer. Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Like, this is what people do in their houses. They have all these big houses and this is what they do. <laughs> and I remember being like in Northeast Ohio gets a lot of snow. And it's all about black eyes. Watch out for the black eyes. Don't slip and fall. Like all these things that that they don't show you in Three's Company, the sitcom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they they don't highlight in Archie's the comics books. I was like, wait a minute. I don't remember seeing any of this in, in the TV shows that I've been watching. I mean, in India, you get water in a bucket. There's buckets in America too, but they're filled with fried chicken. <laughs> People fill gallons of drinkable water in a bathtub and just sit in it because they're sad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was great. I, I, I have no complaints. I had the best time. Mm. I went to college. I got an education. My sister supported me throughout. And people were so incredibly kind and warm and welcoming. But it's a culture shock for somebody like me who came from an Indian, like, like in India, I went to school where every time a teacher walks into the class, we all have to stand up and respect. And then you come to America and it's like people just sit there and their feet are up on the table or something or they're chewing gum. And we ke I came from a world that was so extremely structured that it was the little things that were like, I would just look around and panic like no one's going to get up. <laughs> You're standing up there all by yourself in the middle of all by middle class. Oh no, that happened a lot of times when I and I'm sure I confused everybody in my class. Like, why is she standing up? Yeah. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> so you eventually you graduate, you become a lawyer, and you've called yourself the worst defense attorney ever. Why were you such a bad lawyer? When you're Indian, and it, like if you like to read and write and kind of play with words, you're like, okay, law school. If you kind of like science, okay, medicine. If you kind of like numbers, accounting. So I always was the writing type in my family. But every time I sent like a legal notice, opposing counsel would be like, this is the funniest notice we've ever read. And I was like, did you read that I said I'm going to sue you? This is not supposed to be funny. Why are you laughing? Really? And, yeah. It would, I mean... Like the I'm way you were phrasing you things was making people yeah, laugh or what? Yeah, I would, I would write things like, you know, none of this would have happened if your client would have just listened to his mother. <laughs> Here we are, like in this multi-million dollar lawsuit. And what is wrong with you people? <laughs> um, in your, in your stand-up 
special. You also said that you were too honest to be a good lawyer. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, it, it's to, to build a profession in anything. There is a whole finessing that goes on. I've just never had it. It's not even lawyer. Even before I became a comedian, I tried other businesses because mm. I comedy would not have even crossed my mind. Like it would I didn't even know it was a job. Right. So there was a period of time where I tried being a matchmaker. I'll give you an example. Right. I thought, OK, I'm an Indian auntie. I believe in marriage. Let me help people who are trying to meet each other. And the second day I had these two young ladies come to me. The one friend had brought the other friend to be the candidate. Mm-hmm. Like she needed to make a match. And while we are talking, I'm trying to like learn about this young lady. I'm like, okay, tell me your, what do you do and what are you looking for? And we're going on. And her friend, extremely supportive, wonderful, lovely lady, kept saying to her friend, you're such a catch. And then she would look at me and be, I don't understand. She's such a catch. Why isn't she married yet? And, what? and at some point I was like, you know what, ladies, she's not a catch. <laughs> yeah. If she was a catch, she would have been caught. <laughs> that was the end of my matchmaking career <laughs> i went home that night i was like you know god is trying to say something i'm not sure what is happening here <laughs> oh man so you end up you end up getting married yourself and then yeah. you have ki- on your own terms and then eventually you leave your job as a lawyer and become a stay-at-home mom i'm curious if if you always thought that you wanted to stay at home with kids um, if you became a, a parent or if that was like, uh, how did that happen? Yeah. So again, you come from India, the lots of moms stay at home. I mean, moms working is not the norm back mm. home. So you always predisposed to it. I wanted to work, but of course, you know, look, we're immigrants, my husband and I, for many years, I wasn't allowed to work because we had the visa, you know, there's so many complications that go into immigrating. Then, by the time I was able to work, I had all these little kids and I'm all alone. My husband and I, to this day, are all alone raising our family in Manhattan. 16 years of being home with the kids full time, I learned something. I'm not that into them. <laughs> very, very difficult. You don't know that. The thing is, the world I come from, people have two, three kids. It looks effortless. And then you are here in the West and you're all by yourself and you realize that it's like how expensive even the most basic help is, how important it is to be close to the family. By the time you realize it's too late, you already had the kids. So for for the longest time, I really wanted to do something, but I just couldn't figure out. And I couldn't, I would watch movies like, you know, we've all seen the movies where like Jessica Alba is like wearing a very sexy like tank top and she's running with one kid under one arm and one kid under one arm and she's in high heels and she's going to drop the kid to school and go to a high profile job and then she's going to make dinner at home like flip a piece of lettuce with a glass of wine and it's all so glam that was not my life no my life was like screaming screaming teenagers Costco, like huge, humongous Costco tubs of things getting finished every week. I was like, how much are you guys going to (laughs) eat? But it was your kids. It was your kids who pushed you into doing comedy, if I'm understanding that right. So what what happened? How did how did they? So my youngest was in kindergarten full time in school Uh and my inner angst had reached a peak. I was like, "I, I cannot believe that this is what my life has become. 
And again, this is not to knock any woman who chooses to be a stay-at-home mom. I was that for 16 years. But I personally felt like I was stripped of my confidence. I felt like I was living under a mountain of diapers and and stuff and the world just moved past without me. Mm. So I was really struggling with how to, what to do. And my kids, you know, they're very all American. Like to them nothing is really a problem. It's like just do this. And on a whim my daughter is like, "Mom, just do stand up comedy." And I was like, "That's not a job." And she's like, "No, people get paid like to tell jokes." I'm like, "What do you know?" You know, cuz also that's a mother's predisposition. Anytime a kid says something, you're like, "You don't know anything. Please go back to your Kumon workbooks." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but my my kids kind of ganged up on me and that's the truth like for for all those years i made them do things they didn't want to do wow take this lesson go to this class eat this food then they're like oh mom is too scared to try something new and almost on a dare i had to go and like basically i made the decision to go to an open mic just so i could come home and tell them how dumb they were and that what a stupid idea this was and but the minute i stepped on stage and i started talking i was like oh this this is like white people do this so i have a third kid i forget about him sometimes i don't know what to say about him i don't really know him i mean the nanny says he's perfect really <laughs> like, what's a job what was it like what was it about it that you were like oh this is why people do this You know I'd never been to a comedy club in my life like mm. so few Indians have ever gone to a comedy club we don't know that this art form or entertainment exists yeah the idea that people sit in a club and somebody tells jokes and you pay money for like the whole thing was alien to me i had never imagined and when i got up there i had no idea what a joke was or whatever so i didn't even know what to do I remember the lady who ran that open mic. I said my kids have sent me here. I'm not really sure what I'm doing. <laughs> and she said, "You know, why don't you go on stage and talk about whatever you think is funny for 5 minutes?" And I was like, "Anything?" And she's like, "Yeah, whatever you think is funny." I was like, "Let me take this moment to trash my mother-in-law." And you hadn't prepared anything. Like you just walked up cold and you in that moment you're like, "Okay, I'm going to just trash my mother-in-law and yeah. off we go." Wow. I mean, who doesn't think that's funny? who right like i was like everybody knows how horrible mother-in-laws can be so let me just tell you my stories you know my mother-in-law she lives in india but she comes to america for 3 months at a time it's like she has her own season winter is coming <laughs> and the more i spoke the more the audience was just dying and i was sitting there thinking what is happening because i've been speaking like this and doing things like this my whole life not knowing that that this is a thing no you know i like in the indian culture like weddings birthdays there were countless times when somebody gave me a mic and said you say something just sort of knowing that i'll say something kind of sort of funny mm-hmm. but it never occurred to me that that say something could be packaged in a way that it's actually a job and a profession It never occurred to me, honestly. So your kids encourage you to do this, but then you end up sort of making jokes about your family. A lot of your your comedy is about your kids, the husband, mother in laws. You just said, did they automatically uh, get behind you, or did they have to do some warming up to you being so honest about your life? The thing is that every in the beginning when I started this, we all thought that every show would be the last show. Mm. 
it just felt like oh we're just having fun with a few people in a tiny club and it was i was like i'm sure this is the last group of people who are going to care about my stories that's it nothing's going to come beyond this so we didn't really get into get into it much even my kids were like okay mom's trying something they were most supportive but no one really expected it to grow and snowball into what it became by the t- time it snowballed it was like i was being written about all over like none of it was actually strategized or planned for to be honest and and in some ways i encourage the writing when somebody reached out to me let's say a reporter or whatever because i really thought that i was living under a rock as a stay at home mom and that there must be millions of other indian women doing this i i really assumed that it must all you know how when you don't know you assume everything exists because yeah. why why would you think differently so when i first started doing it i was like no one's going to care but all right we'll do it we'll do it for these 20 people these 50 people then 50 became 100 100 became 500 it kind of just happened organically and now my kids are like are you going to talk about this but now my brain can't stop everything is a joke but in the world that i come from this is so taboo because i will say things like i'm not into being a mother i'm just not and it's i don't think that it's the world's worst thing to say like i like my kids but i don't like the job of being a mother the minute i say it people react like you didn't just say that i'm like but i'm not saying i don't like my kids they're fine okay i don't have to love them they're fine <laughs> and you're speaking to people who i think like i mean you've you've said brown women deserve to laugh like i think that you're yeah. you you finding out that you might be one of the only people speaking like this in this way i think is really powerful like you're you're you are giving something that is needed or really stupid and i'll find out you're listening to q and coming up on the show more from comedian zarna garg she will tell you about the very sweet stunt her daughter pulled to encourage her to get into comedy I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Q is back in a bit. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number 1 comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. People ask me what's the secret to my long marriage. We have a secret. It's that we have an understanding. If we separate, he has to take the kids. But I have to keep his mother. So what's the point? Oh, mother-in-law jokes. Uh, I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. You're in the middle of my conversation with the always surprising comedian Zarna Garg. She lived a good handful of lives before becoming a comic. She left India for America. She became a lawyer, then a stay-at-home mom. And now all of her adventures and everyone in her life is part of her observational comedy, which is mostly okay. 
with her husband and her three kids. But as you're about to hear, there is one family member who is a little more skeptical about being part of Zarna's comedy. Here's the rest of my conversation with Zarna Garg. You know, the craziest part of my comedy journey, like, you know, we all, every creator, every comic has online trolls. We get haters. That's normal. It's par for the course. Fine. But my trolls love my husband and his mother. They spring. If I put a mother-in-law joke out there, they all come out in her defense. I'm like, you don't know her. What are you talking about? Why are you defending this? You have no idea what she's like. She could be a serial killer for all you know. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's such a cultural taboo. And in fact, if you think about even the big Indian-American comics, even Canadian, Russell Peters, Hasan Minaj, they don't talk about their mother-in-laws. No. Never. Because it's such a cultural, like, we don't do this. But why not? That's so interesting. Does your mother-in-law... The mother-in-law is the world's biggest supervillain in every culture. Does your mother-in-law listen to your stuff? Do you know? So she didn't originally because I didn't tell her. Okay. I was like, you know, I'm not sure how she's going to take it. But her bitchy friends (laughs) follow me on social media and then they go and run, report me to her every (laughs) time. So now she's like, you making jokes about me? You know, and I was like, "Mm, kind of, you know, and she's like, you make money doing this? I said, "Mm, sort of. And she has now she's like, you know what? I think I need an agent. She thinks she needs an agent. I love that. This woman could not speak a word of English a year ago. A year ago on my birthday, I would get one balloon emoji. Do you know how cheap you have to be when you're skimping on free emojis? Now she sends me entire text. I saw your joke. I don't know. I don't agree with it. I'm going to make my own video in response to it. Like she's got, oh my God, she's got a million ideas now. You've created a monster, I think. Yeah. She's That's so, but I want to ask you about your own daughter too, because I know that she was a really big champion yeah. of yours when you, were, when you were starting out. And she wrote this essay for the New York Times about encouraging you on your birthday would you say what happened and how she how she encouraged you so this was right before I made the journey to the club for the first stand-up comedy show I was thinking about it but my kid she had already said to me you need to do comedy and I was like you're dumb you don't know anything and we were going back and forth on this and my birthday was coming up and like I really was As all moms and a lot of women, I had a lot of ideas about how if I had a fancy five-star water dispenser on my kitchen counter with beautiful lemons in it, then I would drink more water. You know how we come up with like, I just saw you taking a sip. I was like, see, she's prepared. Meanwhile, me, look. Wine, whiskey. It's a bottle of scotch. A bottle of scotch, okay. See, this is where all the problems... In some way, some would say. But... I had this idea that if I had this beautiful water dispenser on my counter, then we would all be a family of water drinkers. So I had been talking about this water dispenser for weeks and my daughter and my sons went and bought the water dispenser. But instead of filling it with water and actually listening to what I had said to them, they, my daughter reached out to all my friends from my childhood and on up which you can do now, thanks to Facebook and social media, and ask them to send some note about some memory that they may have had with me, knowing that everybody's going to say something about she made us laugh or she was funny or whatever. 
and she stuffed that water dispenser with all the notes that people had sent mm. and she's like it's not just me mom her point was it, it's not just me it's all these people who've known you for 20 30 years who think you're funny you should really dig into this space in that essay your daughter zoya wrote for many parents their children's careers are their greatest accomplishment but my mom's is mine and yeah i mean I just thinking about that in the context of what you have said so far first of all about feeling I guess forgotten when you became a stay-at-home mom and sort of lo- losing your identity to that and and then also the fact that you said that losing your own mom when you were a teenager sort of was the beginning of this journey and I don't know it's very moving I think that after all of that it's your daughter who put together this giant collection of evidence that you should pursue this talent of yours i don't know yeah i mean it is very moving and also very upsetting because that year she was taking the sat exam and i was so upset with her <laughs> that she wasted time on this oh. project i was like you need to get into college what are you doing you know i was but but there is something i don't know this kid was like crazy driven to make this story happen and she really you know You know what it is all my kids friends come to our house all the time you know like kids come and go when you have kids and she in particular always notice she's like all our friends are always dying to hang out with you because you make everybody laugh like anything any kid is doing i probably will find a problem with it <laughs> and convince them not to do it anymore and no one needs to go skiing as far as i'm concerned no one needs to play a sport so she saw something that i really just didn't and yeah you know who knows maybe it's my mom's spirit i don't know maybe maybe yeah so maybe she's like or maybe my kids are just watching that much tv that they're like oh my god we saw this on mazel <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll never get to know um you've been so generous with your time and with your stories i just i want to know before we go you've reinvented yourself really a few times in your life Do you have any words of encouragement for people who maybe think it's too late to to do something new or to turn their life around? Yeah, I I absolutely do because I I do this all the time. I get questions about this all the time. First of all, it doesn't matter when you find your calling. If you find your calling, let's say 2 days before you die, it's still a victory. You still found it. Like when you see a rose, a beautiful rose, you don't look at it and think, "Oh, it's so beautiful, but it bloomed late in life." Mm. No one cares. you found it and that's what matters and you have to keep looking until you find it the idea that i have that i think i think i'm going to be living until the last possible minute like you have to live and experience your life until it's literally taken away from you because that's the whole point like you i'm going to be selling tickets to my funeral i'm telling you right now I'm going to go in with the mic attached to my hand somebody on the other end better be ready for like a stand up show that's coming their way because you have to live until you're not living anymore and I really encourage everybody I get a lot of people who say I want to do something but I don't know what to do this is a thing and I tell everybody if you don't know what to do that the thing to do is to reflect back on what you're already doing because the answer to what you want to do is prob- probably in the things that you're already doing like you don't need to reinvent the wheel my kids held up a reflection of me making people laugh and that became but it could be different things we live in a world where everything can be monetized 
If you love organizing closets, then that could be your thing. That's a job today. If you love being a vegan chef, that's your thing. Whatever is your thing is your thing. And it, you must keep digging. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself. Thank you so much, Sarna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Uh, for someone who jokes a lot about wanting her kids to become doctors or lawyers or accountants, that's some pretty earnest advice about following your joy, and it sure worked out for her. That's uh, Zarna Garg, whose Amazon Prime comedy special is called One in a Billion. Right now she's on tour. She's got upcoming dates in Alberta, and her new podcast, The Zarna Garg Show, is out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple. That's it for this episode of Q. But if you want to keep the the lols going, the raffles going with uh, another maybe unexpected comedian, you can find Tom Power's conversation with Dionne Warwick. Yes, you thought she was a songwriter. We all did. But it turns out she's very funny on Twitter and has had this sort of second wave of, of attention because of her hilarious tweets. That's not really what she talks to Tom about. You know, they touch on that for a sec. But really what they talk about is her incredible songwriting career and all of the songs that she has written that you know that might be popping into your head right now. Keep smiling. Keep shining, knowing you can always just find that in your feed. I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's Tom Power and Dion Warwick. I'm Talia Schlinger sitting in for Tom Power. See you next time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.